G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as the principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 2, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. So we are in John 17, and we're learning the prayer for all believers. This is, of course, the last part of chapter 17, and with that, we will go into chapter 18, which is the beginning of Christ's passion. But let's focus on this lesson based on John 17, verses 20 to 26, Christ's prayer for all believers. First of all, he prayed for glory for himself, not for any egotistical reasons, but unless he's empowered with glory, He's not able to do the work he needs for the sake of God and for the sake of us. Then he prayed for his immediate followers who were going to experience a lot of trouble because of the passion. And then finally, he's praying for all of us who are followers of him. So let me read to you a couple of verses from our portion today. It comes from John 17. Let's begin with verse 22. And remember, all this is in red. All of this are the words of Jesus said to the Father on our behalf. And here we go in verse 22 of John 17. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that thou may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. So basically, Jesus is praying that the glory that he prayed for himself, he wants to give it to his followers. That the glory given to his followers will bring unity to them, even as there's unity in the Godhead itself. Then Jesus speaks about him dwelling in the believer and God dwelling in Him, that's Christ. Let me say it again. He's praying and acknowledging that he lives in the believer and that God lives in him and that they, the believers, may be made perfect in one. And not just that. Not only will they be made perfect in one, the world will actually see, because of Christian sanctification, because of Christian power, because of Christian unity, that the world may know that you, the Heavenly Father, have sent Christ, and that with that knowledge, 
more will come into the kingdom and that the love of God will be manifest in the disciples just as God has loved Christ. So there's a mutual fulfilling, a mutual supporting, a mutual giving out, a mutual indwelling. Yes, it's all part of the prayer of the Master. But I believe it's important to highlight something, that what we're looking at in this lesson, it's prayer for all believers. There's a prayer for oneness, as we've just seen here. When people are united in Christ, it is the most powerful testimony to the world. When there's division, when there's conflict, when there's carnality in that division, fighting and name-calling and undermining, the world is not impressed. I mean, after all, they have plenty of that in the world. Why would they want to import more of that from the church? But when the church is in genuine Christian unity, it speaks volumes to the world. We're going to learn more about this transferred glory from God to Christ to the believer. We're also going to learn about the grand design that is given. God, Christ, and the believer are all one. And then we're going to learn more about this world, how clueless it is to the things of God, even when God is manifesting his work right before them. But even the clueless world can perceive some of the things of God, because when we are the light of the world, they can recognize that light in us. And then finally, we're going to learn about the declaration of God's name and how it's going to change everything for us as people as well as for the world. Let's read the entire portion from John 17, verses 20 to 26. Our lesson is called Prayer for All Believers. Again, based on John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. Let's listen carefully to the word of the Lord. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Father, I will they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And from there we should say, Amen, because that's the end of the prayer. Our reading is from John 17, verses 20 to 26. And our lesson is called Prayer for All Believers. Well, friends, before we go into the verse by verse, let's just be reminded of a couple of things. There is this ultimate goal 
of oneness with God. God is in Christ, Christ is in us, we are in Christ, and that this will be a powerful testimony to the world, as well as a powerful testimony to us. In fact, it's very empowering, because we learn in Colossians chapter 1 that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Not only is he in us, but we are in him. It may sound a bit strange, and of course to carnal people it's incomprehensible, but when you have the new birth, it's amazing what you will understand. God will make it clear. Therefore, there is the prayer for unity of the believers, not just among themselves, but unity of themselves with God. After all, unity is great, but we need to be united with the right things. Unfortunately, some are united with the wrong things. For example, if you claim to be a believer, but you love the world, you crave the acceptance of the world, you speak like the world, you act like the world, you think like the world, well, there's a unity, all right, but it's not going to be profitable either for you or even, for that matter, the world. We want to be united with the right things. We, Let's put it in very plain terms. We want to be on the winning side. To do that, we need to come to God. Because before there was a beginning, there was God. And even after the end of the world, there's God. That alone tells us who the winner is. And the amazing thing is Jesus Christ, despite the enormous satanic opposition he faced, he overcame everything. So he's a winner as well. And he's offering the winner's mantle to all who believe. But remember, it must be completely on his terms, his timing, and his territory. So yes, we need unity. We need unity among true believers, and true believers need to be unified in God. Only in that way can you be on the winning side. But there's something that precedes the unity, and that's sanctification. We have to be separated from the world. In other words, we are detached from the world with whom we were united, and we're now attached to Christ, his church, his kingdom. So the sanctification is important. And remember, sanctification means set apart for God's holy purposes. Sanctification is something that happens as soon as we accept Christ. It's also not just an event at our conversion. It is also a process in our Christian life. We are being made into the image of God. And then, of course, when Christ returns and we have our glorified bodies and we're serving him in his kingdom, that's the ultimate sanctification. It doesn't mean we live a joyless life of self-denial, or shall we say we do need self-denial, but it doesn't mean deprivation. It means we are totally separated for God's purposes And when you're moving and flowing and bearing fruit in God's purposes, you have great joy. So in other words, the word of God sanctifies us, as we learned earlier here in John 17. It separates us from the world and connects us to God. Once we are sanctified, then we're in a position to be unified. Please get that straight, because you can't be unified until you're sanctified. As long as you have the grit and grime of the world, you're not really fit to be among those in God's house. Let the word of God sanctify you, or as it says, by the washing 
of the water of the word. We are cleansed from all unrighteousness. So the word of God sanctifies, the Holy Spirit sanctifies, the shed blood of Christ sanctifies, cleansing us from the unrighteousness. Praise God for this wonderful work. Sanctification first, and then unity. All right, John 17 and verse 20. Remember that John 17 is Christ's longest recorded prayer in the Gospels. It is his great high priestly intercessory prayer. And in this lesson, we will continue and conclude learning insights about Christ's prayer and about prayer in general. Having prayed for himself and then for the 11 disciples, because Jesus had already left the scene to plan for Christ's betrayal, now in this lesson, the focus is cast on the whole church. Jesus says he's not praying only for the 11, but, quote, for them also which shall believe on me through their word. This is referring to all believers, starting from the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, all the way to the second coming of Christ in, I believe, the not-too-distant future. So with that in mind, John seventeen twenty-one, oneness. As prayed earlier, Jesus is praying that all believers, past, present, future, may be united or one, just as the Godhead is one. The Father is in Christ, and Christ is in the Father. The world sees the unity of the disciples. Then the world will know that God has truly sent Christ into the world. Now, there is a, and I don't have details, and I'm not trying to attack anyone, but the term oneness has to be taken carefully, because sometimes oneness means that there's one person in the Godhead, that the Father is actually the Son, is actually Holy Spirit, or it's considered a heresy, where in the Old Testament, God was the Father. In the Gospels, God was the Son. And in the rest of the New Testament, he's the Holy Spirit, as if it's the same person. We believe that Orthodox, small o, Christianity, there is truly one God. But there's distinction of persons in the Godhead. Just like compound unity, one nation, one family, you can have several members, but still be one. And so, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. That one God is in us, and we as believers are in the one God. Then, John seventeen twenty two, transferred glory. God gave Christ glory, and here in this prayer he announces that this same glory is being transferred to the disciples. This means we all who believe will be one with each other and also with God, quote, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, can I just mention this? We are destined for glory, but at this present time, our capacity to handle glory is limited. For example, it's a glorious thing that God will open the heavens, part the clouds, and speak to us directly from on high. Oh, it's very glorious, but it'd probably be very terrifying. Just remember at Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb in Arabia, how the people of Israel exceedingly feared and quaked simply because God was manifesting his glory. It just was too much. And in fact, they said, please, Moses, you speak to us. We can't stand to hear the voice of God. We can't handle it. 
All right, understood. But anyway, our capacity for glory is increased the more we know God, walk with God, welcome the Holy Spirit, experience the anointing, experience the power of God. So yes, glory is our inheritance, but we need to build up the, shall we say, ability to handle it. Then John seventeen twenty three, the grand design. It may sound complicated, but it's simple. God, Christ, and the believers are one. Christ is in the believer, God is in Christ, and as such all we are made perfect in one. When this is manifest to the world, then even the darkened world will know that God has sent Christ and has loved the believer just as God loves Christ, loves the believer and loves the church. Ultimately, this goal of unity finds its culmination in the gathering of the great crowd before the throne of God. This innumerable company of believers comes from all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues with white robes and palm branches in their hands. This is found in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. That's Revelation 7, 9. John seventeen twenty four. Be with me. Now Jesus asks, or wills, that the disciples God has given him will be with him. He is not yet in heaven, and yet talks as if he's already there. The time is coming, sooner or later, that all believers will be in Christ, first in heaven and then on earth. Remember Revelation chapter 20, the thousand-year reign of Christ. We are destined to be with Christ forever, in heaven, on earth, and in the new Jerusalem. Christ wants us to behold and enjoy his glory, which God gave him even before the foundation of the world. Then he affirms that God has loved him from the very, very beginning. But as I said earlier, the world is clueless. John seventeen twenty five. Jesus then speaks, possibly with emotion, that the righteous Father in heaven is unknown by the world. So true. The world knows about God and even talks about God as if they did know him. But their fallen attitude towards Christ or his church points to the fact that they don't know God at all. As ignorant as the world is of God, on the flip side is that Christ is vitally connected with and knowledgeable of the Father. The disciples are sure that God has sent Christ. Remember, the sick, fallen world declared Jesus as demon-possessed, a drunken and a glutton, a friend of sinners, an illegitimate child, and a blasphemer. Contrast this erroneous, warped, and even blasphemous view of Christ with that which the disciples have, courtesy of the new birth and God's revelation of his Son. Final verse, John seventeen twenty six. declare your name. Christ affirms that he has and will continue to declare God's name. This means that the love of God towards Christ will also be found in the disciples and also in Christ will be found in them too. So our lesson is called Prayer for All Believers. And our lesson for life is this. Jesus not only prayed for us in John 17, he ever lives to make intercession for us according to Hebrews 7, verse 25.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.